And I'm so excited about starting this series with you. We're, the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of the fruits of the Spirit, and we're going to do an in-depth study of each one of the fruits of the Spirit. The title of uh, this, this series we're doing for the next nine weeks is going to be Living the Abundant Life. And we call it that because Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? Satan. Satan's mission in your life is to steal you away from God, to kill you spiritually, and to destroy your life. That's what Satan will do for you. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus' mission for you is to give you abundant life. And so we're going to look at the next nine weeks. How do you live that out? How do you live an abundant life? And we're going to see, starting today, the key to living an abundant life is living a life of the Spirit. And as you live in the Spirit, as you walk in the Spirit, as you have a life filled with God's Spirit, there'll be fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control growing in your life. And there's a contrast. There's two ways to live. There's a, a life of the flesh that's characterized by the deeds of the flesh, and then there's a life of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 actually talks about that. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, kind of sounds like our world, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarn you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here it is. Here's our series, the next nine weeks. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? First of all, love. love. We'll study that today. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's going to be studying a life of the Spirit a life that's characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to see as you get into this message even today, it's going to help us. Each one of those fruits of the Spirit, as we get into it and we apply it, it's going to help us. Today we're going to see as we get into this fruit of the Spirit of love, very important you have your spiritual ears on this morning because it'll help you. It'll help you as you grow in this fruit of the Spirit of love to be a better husband or wife and have a better marriage. It'll help you as we get in this fruit of the spirit of love to be a better parent if you have kids. Because let me tell you something. One of the greatest things your kids need from you, parent, mom or dad, is your love. Because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. But a loving parent could change a kid's life. So we need this fruit of the spirit of love. I tell you what, you want to be a better witness on the world that's watching you? Grow in this fruit of the spirit of love. Because you can't argue people into the kingdom of God. But let me tell you something. You could love them into the kingdom of God. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. What characterized Jesus' ministry? It was love. It was healing the leper. Feeding the 5,000. Loving that demon-possessed woman called Mary Magdalene. And helping her get set free by his love and his teaching. Jesus' ministry was characterized by love. And Jesus said this to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And by this, all men 
will know you are my disciples by the fact that you go to Calvary Chapel. (laughs) All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And he loves us well, and he's called us to love others well too. And when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? The greatest thing that people and Christians can do, the greatest thing, two things. We got it on the wall right over there. Love God, Matthew 22. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And then this, this, he said, this is the first and foremost commandment. This is Matthew 22. It's the first and foremost commandment, but the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said this, and on these two laws, greatest commandments, loving God, loving people, all of the law and the, the prophets, all of the word of God are like a, like a door and a hinge with two hinges. All the law and the prophets depend on just loving God and loving people. And so what we're looking at today, church, listen to me, this is very, very, very important. It's the most important thing we can be involved in is love. Loving God and loving people. And actually at the end of this chapter, it says this, verse 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three things, but the greatest of these is what? Love, love. And so we're gonna study love this morning. And I'm going to challenge you, right, right, from the, right, right from the onset of this series, I'm going to challenge you, don't miss a week. Next nine weeks are very important for our church because we're going to look at each one of these fruits of the Spirit and we're going to bring application and it's going to be very important that we get this. It'll change our church. It'll change us as we grow in these fruits of the Spirit. And each one of them is important. Each one of them we're going to, we're going to go in depth in and really study hard. And then we're going to apply it each week. And it's going to be church and life changing. So commit to being a part of this. And God will change us from the inside out as we talk about living the abundant life. Amen? Let's be a part of this. Let's let God change us from the inside out as we go through these fruits of the Spirit. Carl Menninger from the Menninger Clinic said, True love is the medication that our sick world needs. People who give and receive love well recover even physically and mentally from illnesses better than anybody else. It's, it's, it's the prescription for a sick world, is what Carl Menninger said. Interesting. And the chapter we're going to look at today, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And I'm not just saying that, it is. It's a chapter I've taught through dozens of times. You know why? Because whenever a bride lets me and I do a wedding, I've done over 100 weddings, whenever the the bride lets me or the uh, the groom lets me, I teach this chapter. Because it's the greatest chapter I know of in the Bible on love. Interesting, John Wesley said, this is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Ray Stedman said, this is the most beautiful chapter in the whole Bible. And as you teach this chapter, Ray Stedman said, it's like you're tearing petals or, uh, or leaves and, and petals off a beautiful flower. Now, let's, let's, you ready to go, church? You ready to study the most beautiful, one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible? If you, if you are, say Amen. All right, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
and we'll study it verse by verse. Interesting, by the way, uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians, we're going through the New Testament, we're taking a break now for the nine-week series, but it's interesting, God and his providence, what's the last chapter we studied in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then we have our Easter, and now this week, this is the chapter we're supposed to be in anyways. God is good, isn't he? Amazing. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, before we get into this, I want you to to understand the word that's being used throughout this chapter multiple times is the Greek word agape. That's important because in the Greek language, there's four different words for love. There was the word in in classical Greek, there was a word love, uh, uh, eros in the Greek. It means romantic, physical love. We get the word erotic from it. It means the love between a husband and wife. That's a romantic love. And then there's also the word in classical Greek and in the Bible, philio, which is the love of brothers. We get the uh, city of Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. We get that from that word philio. And it means a love between friends. It's a liking someone else, like a friendship. And then there's also the Greek word storge. Storge is the word for family love. It's a, it's a love between like a, a parent and a child. And all those loves are important. But the word that's used here in this chapter, it's agape. Now, the, in classical Greek, you really don't find that word until you find the New Testament. And it's almost like the Christians adapted a whole new word to describe Christ's love and God's love for them. Because Eros didn't describe it, Philia didn't describe it fully, Storge didn't des- describe it fully. So they, they coined a new word in a sense. It's agape. And it's selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, giving love with no strings attached. It's a love that will just give even if it's not being given back. It's a love that Jesus displayed, and the words actually used in John 3.16, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. It's an unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love that God displayed with Jesus dying on the cross. Amazing. It's a love that Jesus talked about again in John 15, 13, when he said, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. It's a love that's used throughout the New Testament when we're told, even in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2, to imitate God's love. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in agape, just as Christ also agaped you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It's the word used in 1 John 3, 16, when it says, we know agape love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's agape. It's unconditional, supernatural. It's seen best on what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins. And it's an agape love. Now, three-part outline as we go through this chapter. First part of the outline, which the last three verses, the preeminent, preeminent love of God. And then we're going to see the practice of that love. 
And then we're going to see the permanence of that love. Another way you could describe it is the first three verses is the value of God's love. The next verse is the virtues of God's love. And the remaining verse is the victory of God's love. And we're going to break it down that way. And so first of all, we're looking at the preeminence and the value of God's love. Go back to our verses, verse 1. The value, the preeminence of God's love. He says, first of all, you could speak all, like, with tongues of men of angels. You could have all this knowledge about Christ and be oratorical and strong in your speaking about God. And that's what it's talking about in verse one. But if you don't have love, you're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You know what that means? You talk all about God and talk about Christ, you talk about the Bible, but then you're mean, you don't have love, you give people a headache. You met Christians like that? They, they have all this talk, and they go over to church every Sunday, everything else, and they're mean. Mean Christian. You want to be an oxymoron? Be mean Christian. Two words shouldn't go around, don't go together. So just go ahead. You want to be a mean Christian, you're an oxymoron. It's better to have love. Because if you have all this speaking about Christianity, but you have not love, the first verse says you, 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 it's nothing. You're just a headache. Verse 2. And if you have all these gifts, you have the gift of prophecy, you can have the gift of knowledge, you can have the gift of faith, so much more to move mountains. You can even be gifted. But if you don't have love, what does it say? You're nothing. I met Christians like that too, very gifted. Very gifted. But they don't have love. And that's the giftedness needs to be balanced with the love. Because love is preeminent even over gifting. And listen, love is preeminent even over sacrifice. Look at verse 3. It says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but if I don't have love, profits me nothing. You know what it's saying? You could give everything, charity. You could give away to the church. You could even give your life away and be martyred. But if you don't have love, nothing. This, these verses spoke to me and convicted me this week. Because I love to serve God. I love being a pastor. I love teaching God's word. It's, 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 it, it's what wakes me up in the morning and it gets, keeps me going all day. I love serving God. I love using the gift in God's given me to teach. I love doing this stuff. But God spoke to me through these verses this week and said, John, just make sure in what you love to do that you're loving people too. Because the most important thing you do, John, is to love people in my name. God spoke to me on that this week. And it reminded me of my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith. Every single pastor's conference I went to where he spoke, he reminded us that you need to be pastors that, that make your people the best-fed and best-loved people in your community. That's your job. Feed them God's word and then love them well. I was reminded of that. You can have all the gifting and all the service in the world, but if you don't love people, you're not doing what God's called you to do in ministry and as Christians. Because our greatest commandment, love him first and then love people in his name. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another, the preeminence of love. Now, let's get down to the nitty gritty. How do we live it out? How do we live in this love? Oh, the first thing on the list is so tough because I ain't got it all the time. I failed right from the gate. Love is, ooh, patient. 
And if you know Pastor John, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit that God's still working on me on because, you know what, and I'm already bracing because one of the weeks we're going to spend a whole week looking in depth at patience and God's going to spank me on that because I don't got it. I try to be patient, but you know, even though there, a couple Wednesday nights ago, we have family dinner hour, I'm coming back from the house, to, and I know I gotta pray for family dinner hour, and I'm driving down Smith Pond Road, and I'm driving, and as I'm driving, I'm realizing, man, I'm gonna be tardy for our own family dinner hour, and I'm gonna be, I gotta, there's 200 people here that need to eat, and I'm gonna be late, and so I'm driving, and as I'm driving, there's this white car in front of me, and it's just going kinda slow, and so, I, boom, go speed around him. And, and then I got there in time to pray for the family dinner hour, just in time, right? Then after I pray for the family dinner hour, someone comes up to me and goes, Pastor John, you were driving really fast on the way over here, weren't you? <laughs> like this. And then she said to me later, she goes, I got a new name for you. You're not Pastor John anymore. You're speedy. <sighs> Patience. 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 <laughs> it's so hard. The word, the word in the King James translated in the tra- King James is love is not only patient, love is long-suffering. Because that's what love does. You suffer long with people. You're patient with people. And that's not easy. But you know, what's, you know what the Lord spoke to me on this and, and what he told me that will help me is to remember, John, remember how patient I am with you. Second Peter 3.9 great verse on this. It says, God's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And when we remember how every day of the week God is patiently working with us and putting up with us and suffering along with us, it helps us a little bit in being patient with others. Long-suffering, that's what God is with us. That's what he is with me, at least. And so he's calling us to be patient in love. And then the next one, love is patient and love is kind. King James again says love is long-suffering and then after being long-suffering, you're still kind. And that's tough too, isn't it? After you've been really patient with somebody and if you put up with them and you've suffered long with them and then you're supposed to be kind to them too? It's not easy. But that's love. That's love. Now, question, how do you show kindness to people? Is it by your words? No. True love, when it's showing kindness, is also backed up by deeds. That's why 1 John tells us, don't just love with word or tongue, but by deed and truth, right? And one of the ways, great ways you could show kindness in your love towards others is back it up with deeds of kindness. That's important. There was a church in Cincinnati, wrote a book several years ago, it's called Conspiracy of Kindness, one of the things they loved to do throughout their community was just to do random acts of kindness, deeds, just blessing people. And they'd do it kind of in a secretive way, and they'd come in and they'd do, you know, they, there'd, there'd be a neighbor of one of the church members that had lawn that's up to here, and they'd come in with lawnmowers and mow the whole lawn for free for them. There'd be people that were needing uh, help in their homes or whatever, and they'd help just show up with a crew, help them in their homes. Random deeds of kindness. We need to have some more conspiracy of kindness, right? It shows our love for people. Our deeds back up our words. That's why the Bible says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. My, um, 
My mom's mom, her name was Mimi, and she was one of the most kind women I've ever known. Just marked, marked her life kindness. I remember when I was growing up, I had kind of a dysfunctional home. My dad had alcoholism issues, and there was conflict in the house, and a lot of times my mom would just ship me out to Mimi. It's 45 minutes away in Wheaton, Illinois, because she knew I just needed a place of refuge. And I remember Mimi just showering with kindness whenever I'd stay at Mimi's house for the weekend. She, I don't even remember those things, but she would, she would stock her freezer with those drumstick. Uh, remember, those, remember those ice cream bars that had like chocolate on top and the nuts? And she knew I loved them. And I'd get there and open up the freezer. The whole bottom freezer had drumsticks. She just was a woman of kindness with deeds of kindness. Just, she was a woman just loved to be kind to people. I remember after Mimi passed away, I uh, just, wow, hit me hard because of all the deeds of kindness she showered, with, showered me with all throughout my childhood especially. And then I remember right after she died, shortly after that, I was going to Atlanta from, I was pastoring Wisconsin, drove down to Chicago, and I was driving uh, down and, and I flew out of O'Hare to Atlanta for the largest pastor's conference in the history of the church. Uh, Promise Keepers at the time held a pastor's conference at the Metrodome in Atlanta. We had 42,000 pastors there for three days of teaching and worship. So I'm getting on this plane, and as I get on the plane, I sit next to this guy, and we start talking. I find out he's a pastor. He's going to the same pastor's conference. And I ask him, well, where do you pastor at? And he goes, "Uh, Wheaton Christian Reformed Church. And I go, no way. I go, that's the church my Mimi was a part of, Providence of God, sitting next to 42,000 pastors descending on Atlanta, and I sit next to, on a plane, the guy that's my Mimi's pastor. And I say, tell me about Mimi. How'd she do in your church? And he just shook his head, and she goes, your Mimi is missed. And why is that? Because she nurtured and loved and cared about so many ladies in our church. There's like this hole in our church right now. And I go, oh, I needed to hear that. And you know what my heart did after I heard that? I said, I want to be more like Mimi. And you know what, church? I want a church full of people that are more like my Mimi. That we just love people. We're kind to people. We just do deeds of kindness all the time to people and bless people. Amen? And we want to be kind because, our, again, our God is kind. Romans 2.4 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And his kindness wasn't just his words in this book. It was displayed, but God demonstrates his love, his kindness towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest deed of kindness ever done was what God did when he sent Jesus for us. Amen? Amen. So love, it's patient, long-suffering, it's kind. And then it goes on back to 1 Corinthians 13. It says it's also not jealous. Ooh, Jealous. Uh, King James Version translates that, it does not envy. That's saying if you're living in kindness, and you're living in love, and you're living in God's agape, here's what happens. When people are blessed and people do well, you don't covet with the blessing on their life. You celebrate the blessing on their life. You, you, you don't, you're not trying to keep up with the Joneses and you're upset because someone got something you want. No, you celebrate with them. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn or weep with those who mourn or weep. And that's a part of living in love is you're happy about the successes of others. You're not jealous when God blesses other people. 
You complete people, you don't compete with people. And then it goes on, love is also does not brag and is not arrogant. Why is that? When you're living in God's love, why aren't you going to brag and, and why aren't you going to stay away from arrogance? Why, why is that? Why are you going to do that? Because that's the spirit of Christ and his love. Philippians chapter 2 describes this in detail. Verse 3, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the nature of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The love of Christ, when it invades our lives, it causes us to shift from being self-centered to being other-centered. To being self-centered, it was shift to being Christ-centered, which means we care more even about other people than even our own selves. And who displayed that best? Jesus, when he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the love of Christ. It's a selfless love. Again, it's a sacrificial love. It's not a love of arrogance. It's not a love where you're bragging and self-promotion. Also, verse 5, it does not, God's love, agape love does not act unbecomingly. King James Version translates this rudely. And that's one thing I love living in the South about. You know that? There's this Southern etiquette. I've been here 20-some years now. I could call myself a Southerner. I made it through 20 years. I like sweet tea. And amen, amen. I hear an amen on that. And, and, and one of the things I love about living in the South is there's a Southern etiquette where rudeness is repelled. And there's just this hospitality and this, I, I remember when I first moved out here with the church and we had this land and we had this four-way stop sign out here. And I remember going to that stop sign. I'm from Chicago. Everybody's in a hurry. And I remember going to that stop sign and a car came, you know, before I got there. And so I'm waving the car through, and he's waving me through. And then I'm waving him through. And I'm going, well, is somebody going to go here or what? And, wait, and it's like, no, no, no. And, it's, and it, it was just this southern etiquette of not being rude. Yo, you go first. I'll go you first. And then I'm driving up there the other day, and I just go to that same stop sign, and this guy pulls up with a white Dodge Ram, you know, like Hemi truck, and he pulls up right there, and, and it's like, I know I got there before he did. It's my turn to go, so I start going through, and he comes out there, and he cuts me off, and then he gives me a, a, a gesture I won't show you, and I'm going, this guy ain't from around here, probably from Chicago or something. I'm going, what in the world? Was that rude or what? It was rude, and almost brought rudeness out of me. And I just said, well, God bless you. I did that in my spirit. This guy needs a blessing. God, God bless you. But rudeness, that's, that's not a part of living in love. When you're living in love, there's a courtesy, there's a thinking of others. There's not an acting unbecomingly is what it says. God's love does not seek its own. Again, it's selfless and sacrificial. God's love is not provoked. Agape is not provoked. What does that mean? You're going to have a long fuse. What does that mean? It means you're not going to be blowing your top all the time and losing your temper. Why? Because you're living in God's love and you're long-suffering and you're kind. 
And listen, if you have a short fuse and you're easily provoked, you know what that's saying? It means you're living in the flesh. And you're letting the flesh dominate rather than the spirit. And you know what? I might be stepping on some toes here, but hey, if the shoe fits, wear it. If you're blowing your top all the time and you lose your temple all the time, that means you need to spend more time with Jesus and let him calm that down and it gives him peace instead of the flesh. Because a temper is a sign you're not walking in God's love. Because God's love is not easily provoked. And that's, this is a tough one too, verse five. And God's love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. You know what that's saying? If you're walking in God's love and you're living in God's love, you're gonna forgive. Because a forgiven people is a forgiving people. And Jesus said through his word, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, again, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen? And I tell you what, it's not easy when people are abusive, when people are hurtful, when people betray you, when people you care about stab you in the back. It's easy to hold a grudge. But Hebrews tells us this, let no root of bitterness develop within you. Because if you let roots of bitterness develop in your heart, Hebrews tells us you will be defiled. You know what that means? It'll mess you up in your heart and it'll mess up your relationship with God. Better to let it go. Better to forgive. You know, we want to give poison to people that betray us and stab us in the back and hurt us. We want to give them poison. But when we get bitter and we hold a grudge against them, we're drinking the poison ourselves. It's poisoning our heart. I, talk, I talked about last Easter, last week, about one of my heroes was Corey Tenboom. One of the reasons she's one of my heroes is because she persevered in her faith through a Nazi concentration camp, watching her dad and her sister be killed in that concentration camp, and she made it through that and led Bible studies and persevered in her faith. But another reason why she's one of my heroes is because of her forgiveness. Never forget about a story I read about Corey Tenboom after she made it through the concentration camp, after her dad and sister were killed, she was speaking around the world, giving her a testimony of God's love and how God's love carried her through that time in the concentration camp. And as she was giving this testimony at this one church, afterwards she was standing up front greeting people and stuff, and this guy walks down the aisle and she remembers this is one of the guards from the concentration camp that brutalized her sister and was a part of you know, just horror, traumatic things in the concentration camp. And as she saw him walking down the aisle towards her, she started shaking with fear and anger. And then the guy came up to her as she was right there and said, Corey, I've become a Christian. And I want to ask you to forgive me for all the things I did in that concentration camp. And she said that at that point, the last thing in the world she wanted to do was forgive him. She wanted to hit him. But the Lord spoke to her heart and said, Corey, forgive him as I've forgiven you. And in shaking hands, she reached out to him and she gave him a hug. And she said she experienced the Holy Spirit at that time of that forgiveness like she'd never experienced the Holy Spirit in her whole life because of the forgiveness and the grace that was flowing there. Some of you here this morning need to forgive some people. Could be a parent that abused you. It could be an ex-spouse that betrayed you. It could be a friend or a person at work that just stabbed you in the back. Time to let it go. Time to forgive as you've been forgiven. And God will heal 
and help you to be more of a person of love if you let it go. You let it go. You can't live in love fully if you got this bitterness here, this root that's just defiling you. Better to let it go. Let that person off the hook. We'll talk about that in the message before I pray, too. So love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now notice this. Love does not, verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. You know what it's saying? If you're living in love, you're not going to be living a lie. You're not going to be living in deception. You're not going to be living in falsehood because a part of living in love is you're a person of truth and you're going to be honest with people. You're going to be authentic. You're going to be real when you're living in love. But notice also it says love not only rejoices with truth, but verse 7, love bears all things. When I was growing up in our backyard, we had a weeping willow tree. And I remember looking out the back window of our house and when storms would hit, that weeping willow tree would literally bend with the wind. And I was thinking about that. Love bears all things. What does that mean? You bend with people. You put up with stuff. And you, even when, the, when it's, it's pushing you, love bears all things. Love, notice, it believes all things. If you're living in love, listen, if you're living in love, you're going to believe in people. And you're going to you, let those people you care about know that you believe in them. My dad had all kinds of issues, all kinds of personal issues, but he was good at this. With me and my sister, he'd let me know multiple times when I was growing up that he was proud of me and that he believed in me. He, and he would say things like, Chip, I know you can do anything that, that you set your mind to do. You can do it. And you know what? That believing in me helped me through three church plants. It helped me as we had spiritual warfare and other issues, starting U-Turn for Christ. I've always had this can-do attitude because I had a dad that believed in me. Parents, you could do that for your kids too. Believe in them. Believe in those people you care about. Let them know that you believe in them. It's part of living in love. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. I like that. You're hoping for the best for people when you love them. Love endures all things. No, notice this. Love never what? Fails. Ooh. That's a word for our culture today. Where love is failing all over the place. Where marriages are not enduring and just splitting up all around us, even in the church. We're living in love. We're going to endure with people we care about. We're going to endure. That love will never fail. i got to share this story with you. I've shared it before, but it's so good I'm going to share it again. Story about a guy by the name of David Reavers. Some of you have seen him on TV. He's a famous evangelist and preacher now. He's got a deformed face because he's a Vietnam vet. And what happened was he had a, he had a um, sniper's bullet just about kill him. And he tells his story. And it's a story about love in his book, Welcome Home, Davy. And in this, in this story, in this book, he talks about what happened to him in Vietnam. And he talks about the enduring faithful love of someone in his life. Let me read it to you. As a young man, this is from his book, Welcome Home, Davy. As a young man, he was in Vietnam on a gunboat. He was holding a grenade six inches from his face when a sniper's bullet pierced the grenade he was holding uh, while they were going down this river in Vietnam. He talks about it in this book again, Welcome Home, Davy. Reavers tells, as the bullet hit the grenade, he looked out his left eye when he saw a part of his right face fall on the deck of the boat below him. He survived the sniper's bullet and was transferred to a hospital in Japan. 
When he looked in the mirror at the hospital for the first time after the operation, he saw a monster, not himself. He went through surgical operation after surgical operation. None seemed to improve his appearance. In one operation, the phosphorus from the grenade that hadn't exposed yet to the air reignited during the surgery and caused further damage to his face. Can you imagine? They're operating his face and the phosphorus reignited and started burning up his face even more. After these operations, he was transferred back to a hospital in the United States where he was reunited with his 19-year-old, or he's going to be reunited with his 19-year-old bride. The day before his, his bride was to arrive, uh, his roommates in the burn unit, his wife came into the room. Listen to what Reaver said. Listen from his book right here. With, with my roommate, he had barely any skin left on his body that wasn't burned. My roommate was doomed to die. And this bride of his walked in. This is the day before he's reunited with his wife. The bride of his roommate walks in. She walks up to his bed, takes off her wedding ring, places it, this is his roommate here, places it between his roommate's feet and says to his roommate, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you anymore. And then she turned around and left his roommate. Talk about a lack of love. Reaver said, fear gripped my heart. How would my 19-year-old bride react to me the next day? Well, she came. The next day, she walked in the room. Check this out. And she was gorgeous. She was dressed for her man. And Brenda walked straight up to my bed. She paused at the chart. She read the tag on my arm because she couldn't even recognize him. Showing not a bit of horror or shock, she bent down. Check this out. She kissed me on what was left of my face. Then she looked me in the good eye, and she said, Welcome home, Davy." <laughs> to understand what that meant, you have to understand that Davy was her precious pet name for me. And then she said this, Davy, you're my husband, you will always be my husband, and I will never leave you. See the love of God there? The enduring love of God? I will never leave you. And I, all I could say, David said, was, I want you to know, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'm real sorry. And then she asked me, David, why are you sorry? I answered, because I always wanted to look good for you, and now I can never look good anymore ever again. She just grinned and said, oh, Davey, <laughs> you were never that good looking anyways. <laughs> hmm. In his book, he concludes with this statement, this profound, determination kept me alive, but it took Brenda's love to heal my wounds. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of love we're supposed to have for each other, Christians. That's the kind of love we're supposed to display as a church. A love that believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and a love that never fails. Why are we supposed to have that love for each other? Because that's the way God loves us. It's powerful. It's awesome. The love of God, the God be loved. Let's close up our chapter now. Verse 9, for, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial be done away. 
When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I've been fully known. Now look at verse 13, the permanence and the victory of love. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Now careful with these verses, because some people use these verses to get their theology off. I would call them dispensationalists or cessationists. Cessationists. And what they use is they say because 1 Corinthians 13 says tongues and prophecy will cease, and because it says tongues and prophecy will cease, when the perfect comes, the word of God is perfect, the perfect has come, and because the word of God is come and it's perfect, tongues and prophecy will cease, so the cessationists will say there's no more supernatural gifts like gifts of tongues and gifts of prophecy, but is that the context of what the scripture says? No, verse 12 says this, that the perfect isn't the word of God. The perfect is when we see him face to face, and then we too will be like him, and we'll know fully as we've been fully known, and we won't need tongues and prophecy when we get to heaven and see Christ face to face, because we're going to know fully as we've been fully known. That's what it's talking about there. Never take a scripture out of context. It's got to be in the context of God's word. And God's word here is talking about the fact when we get to heaven, yeah, we're not going to need tongues. We're not going to need prophecy anymore because we're going to know fully as we've been fully known. Always study scripture within the context of other verses. But lastly, it says this about love. It says faith will remain for the rest of eternity. It'll abide forever. And faith is important. It's the assurance of what's hoped for, the conviction of, not, of things not yet seen. Faith is what saves us. Faith's important. Faith will last for the rest of eternity in heaven. It'll abide. Hope. Hope will abide too. We'll have hope for the rest of eternity because Christ in us, it's the hope of glory, right? Hope is important too. But they're saying the most important thing is love. And the hallmark of heaven is going to be love. The thing that's going to characterize the rest of eternity is being in God's love and presence. And also, I know that because when we get to heaven, we're gonna see the greatest sign of love ever. Revelation 5 says when we get to heaven, we're gonna see Christ, the lamb as if slain. We're gonna see, we're gonna see the wounds that were taken for us for the rest of eternity. He's gonna be at the right hand of the Father. Revelation 5 tells us, and he's gonna still have the wounds. And we're going to be reminded of God's love for the rest of eternity. And the hallmark of heaven will be love. So, question. How are you doing in these things? If we put your name in that list of virtues of love, how would it fit? I've already told you, i got a ways to go. Put my name in there. John Hoppy is patient. Not always. John Hoppy is kind. I try to be. John Hoppy doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. I try to be forgiving. John Hoppy believes all things, hmm, bears all things, hopes all things. You know, John Hoppy endures all things. John Hoppy's love never fails. Yeah, I come up short in each one of those areas all the time. But you know what? When I put Jesus' name in there, it works. Jesus, I'll, I'll read it right to you. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. 
Jesus is not jealous. Jesus does not brag. is not arrogant. Jesus doesn't act rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus does not take into account a wrong suffered. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. So, how am I going to grow in these things? How are you going to grow in these things? Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in him, and he will bear much fruit. Right? But apart from me, you could do nothing. And so, listen, in closing this morning, you want more of this love in your life? And I think we all do. Want more patience and kindness and enduring and faithfulness and forgiveness? I think we all do. We gotta recommit ourselves to being more of Jesus. We gotta recommit ourselves to being here in church more and being in his presence and worship and hearing his word. We gotta recommit ourselves to being more in devotional time during the week where we either begin our day or end our day in the word and in prayer. And so Jesus could be changing us to be people that are described here in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the key. He's the vine, we're the branches. And apart from him, we could do nothing. But with him, we could be living and growing in this area of love. So I want to encourage you this morning. Recommit. Recommit to being in church, being in prayer and devotions during the week, and let Jesus make you more like him. And that fruit of the spirit of love will be flowing more. Last thing. Who do you need to forgive? Who's betrayed you? Who's abused you? Who's hurt you? Today, let today be the day you let them off the hook. Let today be the day where you forgive as you've been forgiven. And it'll take some bitterness out of the heart. It'll help some more love to be flowing. Be kind to one another. Again, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Maybe today's the day. Should be. And remember your Savior who's on a cross. And the very people who are mocking him and killing him and spitting on him, he forgave them. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Today might be your day to say, I'm going to let this person off the hook. It'll help you be more of a person of love. And let's pray for that right now. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word exhorts us, encourages us, equips us in righteousness. Thank you that your word helps us to apply things we need to apply. And this subject this morning, this topic, this fruit of the Spirit, that's the most important of all things, the greatest commandment to love, Lord. I pray that we would, we would recommit ourselves to being in your presence, Lord to being abiding people that abide in Jesus so, Jesus, you can abide in us and you could change our hard hearts to being loving hearts, God. Father, help us to re-up and recommit to just being in your presence, Lord. Being in church when we meet in church. Being in the Word during the week, whether at nighttime or in the morning, so we could just be basking in your love on a regular basis and your love could be filling our hearts and allowing us to be conduits of your love to other people as your love flows in us and through us. Father, we can't do this on our own. We're a selfish, sinful people apart from our abiding relationship with Jesus. 
So help us to recommit to your presence, Lord. Help us to recommit to just loving you so that we can love others because we love because you first love us, Lord. Father, thank you for your love this morning. It's an amazing love. Amazing love. How can it be that you, our king, would die for us and for me? Just fill our hearts this morning with a fresh awareness, a fresh sense of your love for us, God. You are a good, good father. Hmm. We are loved by you, God. May our lives, even this week, display some of this love of kindness and patience and bearing with people and uh, believing in people and hoping in people and enduring with people. And may we live in this love that never fails, even this week, God. Change our hearts, Lord. Give us hearts of kindness, even this week, towards people evidenced by deeds, Lord. Father, I pray for those that might be here this morning, any of us, that need to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that we might even picture in our minds someone that's betrayed us or abused us or hurt us or stabbed us in the back. I pray that we might just in our mind say, I forgive you as Christ has forgiven me. I pray that there'd be some forgiveness going on right now in the hearts and souls of people that need to forgive. And I pray, Lord, if there's, if there's a resistance to that, I pray that you'd also put another picture in our minds, and that's the picture of Jesus on the cross dying for our sins and praying for the very people that were killing him and making that great sacrifice for our forgiveness. Help us to picture that, Lord. And then help us to go back to that person that we need to forgive in our minds and say, I forgive you just as Christ has forgiven me. Help us to apply that scripture even right now, God. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving others just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. May there be some letting go this morning. May there be some grace given. May there be some forgiveness in our hearts towards anybody we need to forgive right now. We're going to let them off the hook right now. We're going to let it go. We're going to quit swallowing the poison that's defiling our hearts because of bitterness or anger. And we're going to forgive. We're going to show mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Thank you, Lord, you taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let us be those people, Lord. And Father, please fill our hearts with your love so we could be people of love, even this week, right now. Help us to be people of kindness and patience and goodness and deeds of kindness, even this week, Lord. Help us to be people of love this week. In Jesus' name.